Hello and welcome to Reliance's podcast. We hope that the message encourages your heart today. If you'd like to join us in person, we meet weekly on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, or 11 o'clock a.m. And if you want to find out more about Reliance, come check us out online. Today we're going to uh, continue on in our series, In His Name. And so the last few weeks, if you've joined us, Aaron uh, has been sharing on several of the names of God. And it's, it's been awesome. And so as the foundation for this series, we're actually in John 17. And so if you've got your scriptures in front of you, you've got the, the Bible um, busted out. It'll also be up here on the screens. But John 17 like lays this really awesome foundation for this series. And the crazy thing is that John 17 is actually the, um, the part in the scripture where, where we find Jesus praying. And he's praying specifically for his disciples. And the crazy thing is this is just mere moments, mere minutes before he would be arrested and then just mere hours before he would, he would hang on a cross, right? And what do we find God incarnate doing among us? He's praying. Jesus, the second part of the Trinity, is praying. Do you actually know what Jesus is doing right now? He's praying. He's praying. In Hebrews, we find that our great high priest, Jesus, is currently praying at the right hand of the Father. God is praying to God. That shows you the beautiful revelation that the Trinity is in communion and that Jesus is for you. If the only really known activity that we know of, at least that I know of, in, in heaven that we see in, in the Bible is Jesus himself praying. Wow. That, that, that alone is a sermon that could probably take all of next year. And then the Holy Spirit is also praying. He's groaning, as it says in Romans. Like when we don't have any words, we don't know what to pray, like... He says he's groaning, the Holy Spirit. Wow, Jesus is, he's interceding for you. He's for you, friends. So as we read John 17, just remember this, that what he's doing right now, he was doing 2,000 years ago in a garden before he would go be arrested and hang on a cross. Says this, again, he's praying for his disciples. He's praying in front of them, by the way. They're, this is where they're actually all together, and then eventually he would go and kind of be on his own. But, but he's praying in front of them. And he says, and I am no longer in the world. But they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, this Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. I do not ask that you take them out of this world. I do not ask that you take them out of this world, but I do ask that you keep them from the evil one. And so here in this passage, we find two, two instances where the word keep is used. He says, keep them in your name and keep them from the evil one. The, this word in Greek, this word keep, little, little linguist, a little language lesson here. In the original language of Greek, it was tereo, all right? Tereo, which means to watch over, to guard, to protect, to shield. And it reminds me, as I, was, as I came across that, that, what it meant in Greek, um, which is really rich, it reminded me, the Lord took me to Psalm 139.5. Psalm 139 is a fairly familiar psalm, but I love this part. And I've heard people like use this in prayer. And, and I've always thought, man, I love that. And it says this, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. You, you hem me in behind and before, like the Lord is our guard. He's protecting us. He's hemming us in. He's keeping us in his name. He's watching over us. He's protecting, shielding. And, you know, as I, as I was reading that, 
And as I read, you know, was reading this, the scripture for, for today and reminded that Aaron talked, you know, several weeks ago about um, El Royi, that the, the, he's the God who sees me. And then last week that he's Jehovah Rohi, the Lord is my shepherd. And I was thinking about other names of God, that he's Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide, that he's Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Like I was, I was drawn in this invitation. It was, it's fascinating. Every time I preach, which, which isn't very often, a few times a year, like the Lord always, always preaches to my own heart. Wow, well, go figure. You know, every time I'm preparing to deliver a word, it's like the Lord says, Ryan, will you take this invitation that you're about to actually, you know, relay to to my people. I'm like, Lord, do it in my own heart first, right? But it was a sweet invitation. And, and I didn't hear an audible voice. I'm not saying that, but I experienced this invitation in my spirit that Jesus was reminding me of something he said in John 15. He says, yes, John 17 is true. And that's my covenantal promise to you that I will keep you in my name. But what does John 15 say? He says, remain in me. Yeah. says, abide in me. He's talking to his disciples again. He says, abide in me, remain in me. He's like, Ryan, it's my invitation for you. Simply remain in me. And then my covenantal promise is that I'll keep you in my name. I will guard you. I will shield you. I will hem you in before and behind. And do you know the kind of assurance that that brings? The, the, the kind of confidence you have to say, the Lord is my protector. Like the Lord is a mighty warrior. And we, go, we can go on the names of God all day long. I'm just like, man, thank you, Lord, for the invitation that my responsibility is simply to remain. And you will protect and shield and guard. And I was just flooded with like this confidence, like, oh, right, I'm going to deliver this word because I know who I am. I know who my God is, right? So this invitation, the reality, though, it's not just for me. I mean, it's for all believers. You have the opportunity, as John, like he was saying, John 15, remain in me. He's saying it to you as well. He's saying it to me. And so keep this invitation in the back of your mind as we learn about another name of God that we find in Judges chapter 6. So if you got your, your Bibles, again, open to Judges chapter 6. Again, it'll be on the screens. And it says this, praise you, Lord, for your word. It's so good. Lord, let it seep into our hearts, deep and rich. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted the crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. Can you just imagine that? That's how they described it, locusts everywhere. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They, they invaded the land to ravage it. They invaded the land to simply ravage it. That was their intent. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. And we'll skip down to verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah. Not Oprah, not to be confused with Oprah. But the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said this, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, You've got to take a time out here for me because this is actually really ironic. <laughs> he calls him a mighty warrior. Gideon hasn't done a thing for the Lord yet. And in fact, where do we find Gideon in his current state? He's, he's threshing wheat in a wine press, not where you thresh wheat, by the way, um, which tells us two things. One is that his harvest was probably really small because the Midianites had already ravished it, taken advantage of it, and he's probably got a small amount. And two, he's doing that because he wants to be discreet about his whereabouts. He's trembling in fear. And yet, what does the Lord say? The angel of the Lord. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. 
This isn't the sermon for the morning, but here's a little free tidbit for you. God has more good thoughts about you and for you than the grains of sand on the seashore. And he doesn't just see your current state of being, like Gideon trembling in fear. No, God actually, whew, God actually sees your redeemed future. God sees your redeemed future. And he declares his heart over you as one who has hope in a future. Gideon, you mighty warrior. Somebody needs to hear this today. God sees, declares, and expresses even now your redeemed future. You may have come in here and thought, man, how can I be anything? Like what? He could have said, hey, Gideon, you trembling little ant. But he didn't because that was Gideon's current state. He saw Gideon's redeemed future and he declared that over him. God is declaring so much over you right now that you, could, you couldn't even imagine. Like I, I just sense in the spirit realm, this God is dancing and delighting over you. This, the scriptures tell us that. And actually, he's got good things for you. He's declaring even your redeemed future over you now where you partake in that redeemed future. Like, amen? That's good news. You may have walked in here one way, but the Lord has a redeemed future, and you can walk out of here different. Set upon the Prince of Peace that we're going to learn about in a moment. So back to, the, back to the story, Judges 6, 14, now through 16. It says this, the Lord turned to him. This is interesting, real quick. At first, it's the angel of the Lord who appears to Gideon. And then Gideon, which the scripture we, we didn't read, says, where, God, are you? Like, where, you've left us. Where about this God, the God of our forefathers that we've heard about brought us out of Egypt? And guess what? The Lord's like, hey, angel, step aside. I got to respond to here, Gideon. This is what the Lord said. This is really cool. The Lord turned to him and said, go in strength. Go on the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Twice he said, I am with you. The Lord is with you, and I will be with you. Present and future. Another quick time out here just to catch us on the, on the back story. To, the, to this story. So this time in Israel's history is anything but, but fruitful, anything but, but safe and peaceful. I mean, we can already see it from the scriptures that we read. Um, but, but the reality is the Israelites had, had walked away from the Lord. They were living in a state of apostasy. This is kind of a constant theme in the Old Testament, particularly in Judges. If you go read Judges, there are some crazy, fascinating stories. All right? Go read your word. It's, it's nuts. But anyway, in, in Judges chapter 6, they've walked away. And so... Um, constantly they're receiving judgment crying out and god would raise up another to deliver them another judge right and so this is all pointing to their need for one savior once and for all but jesus wouldn't arrive on the scene for 1100 years and so it's like hey time out on that you know we'll, we'll get there um but midian that main, that name actually means several things this is pretty fascinating midian can mean strife it can mean to judge or it can mean to rule and for the israelites strife was really their lived state of being right? They had no sense of safety. Their livelihoods were stripped from them, and they were living in fear in the caves and crevices they could find. Can you imagine being that filled with anxiety, fear, and worry that you would go and like try to find rocks? I mean, in Kansas, we wouldn't have much place to hide, right? <laughs> Culverts, I guess that's it. But like that was their state of being, just living in constant fear. And after some time, and you can go and read the rest of Judges chapter 6, but this was finally Gideon's response to the Lord. We find this in verse 22 through 24. It says, when Gideon realized, it's like, wow, he finally had revelation. Okay. When Gideon finally realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, oh, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. 
So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, the Lord is peace, Jehovah Shalom. It's the first place in the, in the scriptures where we see Jehovah Shalom, the name of God, Jehovah Shalom. So what's the outcome of this encounter between Gideon and the angel of the Lord? Two things. One, an altar is built. Two, revelation is received. An altar is built and revelation is received. Anxious and fearful, Gideon learns something about this God that he serves. The Lord is Jehovah Shalom. And here's the key. Gideon didn't wait to build an altar to the Lord like until after the outcome had already been defined or seen, right? He hadn't gone and done anything. There was, he hadn't gone and done his assignment that the Lord had called him to, but he chose to build an altar on this side of it and experience the peace of the Lord on this side of it. Not when the outcome was dictated or won or determined, but on this side of it. Friends, you have an opportunity. I don't know your chaotic situations. I imagine in a room this size, there's a number in this room that are struggling with anxiety, worry, fear. And it could be just a daily thing, or it could, it could be like, man, I have struggled with it for years. I, I, again, I don't, I don't know your story. The Holy Spirit does. But will you choose to build an altar on this side? Yeah. Not knowing the full outcome yet, but knowing who holds it. Like, that's, that's key, because that's faith being expressed in Gideon. The Lord just is so drawn to faith-filled people. You get the opportunity to build an altar on this side and add a choice, and it is like true worship to the Lord. I think that's what Gideon experienced, and the Lord was so delighted that he would build an altar on that side of it. But he began this revelation that he's Jehovah Shalom. He, you know, the task before Gideon is still daunting. He's still got to go up against Midian. Like, he's still got to go up against the Midianites. And yet there is this peace. He's met the God of peace now. And there's like this inner knowledge, not just what he's heard from past stories of how good Yahweh has been to the Israelites, but now an inner knowledge and knowing and deep in his gut and in his spirit that he's experienced the God of peace. Man, that's what the Lord wants for us. And here's the deal. You've probably heard this saying. It's a little cliche. But, but peace is not the absence of conflict, right? Anybody ever heard that? says the person that wrote that, that, you know, maybe not experiencing conflict, I don't know. But, but true biblical peace is not the absence of conflict, because peace actually in the biblical word is shalom. Shalom is so much richer and deeper than the English language could actually provide. Man, the English language is kind of lame. Like when you go and actually you like read some of these the languages of the Hebrews and Greeks, and you're just like, wow, man, the depth. Because shalom is, actually means this. Uh, shalom means wholeness. It means satisfied, it means fulfilled, it means complete, which is why Jesus is called the Prince of Shalom, because he's the source of wholeness for the human heart. Nothing else can satisfy. All of that is, uh, uh, anything that you try to put your trust in that you will find peace in, it's counterfeit. And Satan would love for you to delight in counterfeit peace. You might have it for two weeks in a bank account, or two months, or two years, or 20 years. It's fleeting. Peace is found in someone. I'm preaching to the choir. I know you know that. But he's the prince of peace for a reason. He's the source of the wholeness for the human heart, completeness, satisfaction. Man, he is the prince of peace. And I love that this shalom is actually a covenant word, which means it's relational. And let me, let me explain this. It's an expression of God's enduring, faithful relationship with his, pe- with his people. Here's, here's the reality. The Israelites had walked away so many times. And you read the Old Testament, you're like, Lord, you probably should have just, you know, smited them down and just, but he didn't. He's true to his covenant. He's true to his enduring faithfulness. It's his character. So shalom is a covenant word. 
which God upholds the power and the eternal reality of that covenant, which means peace is kept in him. He is the prince of peace. So with this in mind, we turn to Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9 is a pretty familiar passage, uh, Christmas passage particularly. Aaron actually shared a little bit of it earlier. Um, 400 years. This is 400 years after Gideon and the Midianites. And again, Israel had turned their back on God. And, and this time, the Assyrians, different enemy, same story, different enemy was about to come and, and really crush Israel. And so Isaiah prophesies this about a coming Savior. He says this, Isaiah 9, 2 through 7, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Again, he's saying it on this side of the outcome. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, wow, he's going back. He's reminding them of Midian's defeat. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Right there, right there. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given is both Christ's humanity. A child is born. To us, a son is given. His divinity. He's the son of God. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness, or other translations say, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Praise you, Father, that the increase of your government and peace, there will be no end. I feel it necessary. We read that, of the increase of his government and peace, and I've read that many times. And, and probably not only until the last few years has the Lord, have I opened my eyes. The Lord's, the Lord's been telling me. But I have, I have opened my eyes to the reality of that. And I say that for this. Most of you probably hear that and you're like, of the increase of his government peace, there will be no end. Hmm. That's interesting, Lord, because when I look around, I see destruction. I see family relationships that are out of whack. I see bodies that are yet to be healed. I see minds that are running in chaos and anxiety. I see depression. Yeah. I see fear. I see worry. I see injustice. All those things that when we see with our natural eyes, yeah, that's a reality. But the Lord, in his goodness, is the increase of my government and my peace. There will be no end. There is coming a day when the government of the Lord and that kingdom of the, of the air, the prince of the air, the kingdom of Satan, will be crushed by the government and weight that is coming upon it by the one who shoulders the government. You know what I'm saying? So I just... I. I I feel, and I, I felt this prompt in the last two services as well, and I just, I want to pray for us to see with fresh eyes. Because in the natural, we do. We look around and we see carnage. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm like, Lord, I can't take another story of injustice, another story of somebody lost in hopelessness. And the Lord's like, Ryan, open your eyes to a different reality. Yeah. My government has arrived in Christ, and it is arriving, which is why Jesus would pray to the Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not yet fully here. But it is coming, and one day that kingdom of the world will be enveloped by the kingdom of our God. And so he's like, Ryan, you can see now with different eyes. Will you allow me to open your eyes to that reality? Friends, will you allow Christ to open your eyes to that reality? It says in, I believe it's in Ephesians, could be in Colossians, I can't remember. But we're, Ephesians, we're seated right now in the heavenlies. 
Not in some distant future. Right now, if you said yes to Christ, you're seated in the heavenlies beside Christ, meaning you have the perspective of heaven. So I want to I I invite Christ to open our eyes to that reality. Join me in prayer. Jesus, we're asking right now, we want to see with heaven's mindset, with heaven's eyes. Give us fresh faith to see in the most hopeless of situations that there is a God of hope. In the most like, depressing situations, God, that there is a God of joy. Like in the most worrisome, anxiety-filled situations, there is a God of peace. So, Lord, we choose to partner with heaven right now to see your kingdom coming as it is in heaven to invade every square inch of planet Earth, starting with my own, my, my own feet as they take a foot forward, and in my house, God, and in my relationships with my wife, with my kids, with my friends, my coworkers, God. I will choose to see differently with the mindset of heaven. Thank you, Jesus, that your government, of the increase of your government peace, there is no end. We in this, this room are filled with faith, or we choose to walk by faith and not by sight. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We receive this new, fresh eyesight by your grace and your mercy alone. In your name, amen. So friends, see differently. The Lord has given you that eyesight. I'm going to skip a little here because that wasn't really part of the, the message. Okay. So this is kind of the setup. That, that's the setup, right? I mean, you're, you're thinking, okay, that's great. I've heard maybe some messages like that and that's great. I hear that peace is, is something that Christ is and that he provides or whatever. But like, what does this actually look like? Like, how does a believer actually abide and remain? For some of you, you're thinking, like, I've walked for years in feeling like my heart is not at peace with the Lord. I'm not going to ask you to raise hands, but I know in a room this size, there's people out there like, thank you, but I, what does that even mean? I want to I I share a few just realities from Scripture, and hopefully this, this will... This will kind of be some fuel to saying like, yeah, it is possible in the Lord, which yes, it is, but it'll, it'll fuel faith in you to step into the peace of God. So let's, let's look at a few, few scriptures here. John 16, says this, and Jesus again is speaking. He says, these things I have spoken to you so that in me, you may have peace in the world. You have tribulation. Wow. Thank you, Lord. Okay. <laughs> in the world, you have tribulation, not you may Possibly, no, in this world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. And so first, I'm not going to get up here and say that when you come into Christ, it's a, it's a get out of trouble kind of free card, right, Monopoly style. Like that, you live in a fallen, broken world. That's the reality of, of partly living in this, in this world presently until that day when Christ comes and redeems it all. There is trouble in this world, but take heart, for he has overcome the world. So that, that's just the first reality, okay? You're like, wow, well, it's only up from here, okay? <laughs> right? So here's the good news. When you said yes to Christ, you actually received an inheritance. Did you know that? There is an inheritance. Part of your inheritance is peace. Again, not some distant future reality of peace, but when you said yes to Christ, you were given an inheritance now, not to spend in the eternity to come, but now. Peace is part of the inheritance. But peace is also something that's given. Therefore, it has to be received. And let me share a scripture, and then I'm going to do a little unpacking on this. John 14, 27 says, peace I leave with you. Again, Jesus, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives, meaning I do not give as temporary pleasures or your own efforts will afford. Counterfeit peace. I don't give that. Jesus doesn't give counterfeit peace. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Peace is given. Therefore, peace has to be received. If I give my children presents on Christmas, we do it Christmas Eve. If I give my, my, my children presents on Christmas Eve, 
and I lay it at their feet. I said, there's your gift. And they don't open it. By their own doing, they've chosen not to, not to enjoy the pleasures of that toy, of that thing that I freely given. There's no strings attached. I'm not saying you have to do anything. I just delight that, that you have that now. So, so it is with the peace of God. I have given you. I have left you peace. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. And how, what a travesty that we as believers have inheritance of peace and yet we choose to leave it at our feet. Oh, I just so wish I could open that. Oh, and the Lord's delight over us is like, son, daughter, would you open it? I gave it. I purchased it on the cross for you. Would you open it? Would you open it? It's for you to receive now. And you're like, oh, I don't know, Lord. I just can't. I can't. I'm not worthy of it. And he's like, oh, my gosh, my son who was worthy paid the price so that you could have that peace reconciled to God. Man, what a travesty, church. It would be a travesty if my kid at the 4th of July was still looking at a present from Christmas and being like, I wish I could open that. Yeah. Open the thing. It's yours. No strings attached. And, and part of this is, I mean, he gives us some, some, some way in which to also receive it. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. When you're picking up all the cares of the world, you don't have, you don't have another hand to pick up the peace of God, right? Because you're carrying around the, the troubles of the world, which there's plenty. I mean, you could pick up multitudes and be wrestling that with for the rest of your life. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. What are you allowing to trouble your heart? What are you giving your mind, your thoughts, your emotions, your attitudes toward? Most of which, by the way, are probably temporary, right? Until you get a different outcome, I mean, that's fleeting. Because you might get the outcome you want and then realize another multitude of outcomes that you didn't you know, expect for came. And you're like, oh, Lord, when will I cry out for peace? Can I have peace? And he's like, I'm giving it to you and my son. It's given. Will you receive it? So what are you allowing your heart to be weighed down by this morning? Colossians 3, 15 through 17 gives us, um, gives us a glimpse at a way in which we can receive the peace of God and not be troubled. Hear, the, hear, these, hear these words from Paul. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitudes in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Again, that whole name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let the peace of Christ rule. Now, it's interesting because when I've read Colossians 3, 15, like I made a note in my Bible, and I was like, that's interesting. Let the peace of Christ rule. Normally, I don't associate peace with ruling, right? Um, so if I would have written this, you know, in my own humanity, I would have said, hey, let the peace of Christ dwell in your hearts. It's pretty passive. It feels pretty passive, right? And let the word of Christ rule. That seems like something I should let rule my heart. But he says, let the peace of Christ rule. Let the word of Christ dwell. It's interesting. And so I, I dove into this word rule. Why? 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 Let the peace of Christ rule. That seems really interesting. And, and it comes down to this. The, the word rule in, in the original language is quite profound. It's, it's from the Greek word brabuo. There you go. There's your Greek language for today. Brabuo, which in ancient times was used to describe the umpire or referee who moderated and judged the athletic competitions that were really popular in the ancient world. And so Paul uses this word to tell us that the peace of God 
can work much like an umpire or referee in our hearts, minds, and emotions. So when something comes in and needs to be judged, it can be judged, ruled, umpired, referee by the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts. When detrimental emotions attempt to exert control over us or try to throw us in emotional frenzy, like yesterday, it was the start of the two-week you know, Christmas break with my kids. I'm like, Lord have mercy, day one, and I'm already thrown into emotional frenzy, right? <laughs> I mean, literally, we can make the choice to let God's peace rise up from deep inside of us in our yeah. spirit like an umpire referee to moderate our emotions. Like, yeah. you're out of here, man. Yeah. You're out of here. That... that thought of worry and anxiety or my kids or my future or my tomorrow or my job or my this or my that, you're out of here because I know who holds the future. I don't have to dwell on those. He referees, he umpires. I love it. He's like, get out. And finally, he's like the umpire that's like, hey, you're out of the whole game. Like, <laughs> get out of the game. You can't even get another turn to bat, right? Like, that's what the ruling peace of Christ can look like in a life. So Colossians 3.15 could actually be translated something like this. Let the peace of God call the shots in your life. Are you letting the peace of God call the shots in your life? Let the peace of God be the umpire in your life and your actions. Let the peace of God act as referee in your emotions and your decisions. Let the peace of God act as referee. Huh, that's interesting. It's interesting because the human, the human being is made of three parts. We, I, we've touched on this a little bit. But human beings are made of three parts. One is this, this outer flesh, right? It's the body. It's this temporary tent, this temporary dwelling place, place that, that hurts and feels pain. And right now you're sitting on these uncomfortable chairs for an hour and eight minutes thinking like, wrap this thing up, Ryan, right? Like you're feeling that, right? In your, in your bones. And, okay? And then there's the soul. That's our mind, our will, our emotions, our personality. It's what makes us, us. And then there's the spirit where the Holy Spirit comes and resides, right? So the spirit is... <laughs> redeemed because when we say yes to christ we're found in him we're found in him right our soul is being redeemed because i'm i'm not where i need to be but i'm you know i'm in a journey i'm in a process so my soul is being redeemed my mind my will my emotions and then my body will one day hallelujah be redeemed i'll get a new body and until that time i'm in this temporary tent doing what i can right but a lot of times what we do and I'll get to the point here in a minute. But a lot of times what we do is we act actually out of our soul. So what was meant to act out of our spirit where the Holy Spirit has redeemed us and then dominates our soul, controls what comes out of us in our mind, will, and emotions, we've got it backwards. We're actually acting out of our soul. It's what we call soulish because it's really more selfish, right? <laughs> our soul is selfish. Therefore, you can call it my soulish self, right? Because when it's not dominated by my spirit, where, where, where the Holy Spirit resides, then it's usually backwards. And I'm vomiting all, over, all kinds of people, not physically, but emotionally, verbally, because I want what I want. And it's not controlled by the Spirit, which is why Galatians 5 says, if you walk in the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, right? And then there will be the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So maybe... Maybe that's something to take the Lord today. Say, Lord, where am I acting in my soul that actually I need to be girded in my spirit? Because that's where the Holy Spirit resides. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's probably more than we have time for, but it's just a little quick nugget. Like, take that to the Lord and say, I'm acting soulish in this reason. Why? Because I'm not letting the peace of Christ, the umpire, the referee, rule in my heart. Something's wonky, and i got to get deeply rooted back into the spirit of God that dwells in my spirit. Praise the Lord. 
And the fruit of the Spirit that will be produced in you is peace, shalom. Several years ago, um, it was 2019, um, May of 2019, we, we got our, the last of our bonus kids, we'll, we'll call them that. Um, so we, we've adopted three girls, we had three biological sons, and Lila had come to us in 2017 or at the beginning of 2017. And um, May of 2019, Kalia and Kamaya came to us, and uh, they were one and a half and three and a half. And I remember, man, this, this is going to be great, and okay, okay, Lord, you, you got this. Well, subsequently, the months that followed, you know, first few months with the honeymoon phase, like, okay, we got this. Yeah, babe, we got this. And then, you know, kind of like fall began to set in. And I remember February 2020, vividly, uh, was sitting on my couch on a Monday morning um, and just sobbing. Like, uncontrollable. So I've, I've never sobbed like that in my life. And, you know, Brie comes out and she's like, there's a lot going on here. <laughs> Whoa. She was, she was really kind. She was really kind and gracious to me. But, man, I was just sobbing. And, um, and part of it, the majority of it was I just, peace was not ruling in my heart. I was looking at all the, the, the outward things of tomorrows and the what ifs. In my own heart, I was, like, emotionally drained and felt spiritually drained and just relationally. Like, I was like, oh, Lord, I got nothing else to give. And I just remember this, like, deep thought, like, Lord, I can't do this. I told Bree, I was like, I can't do this. These girls are going to have to go somewhere else. I, I can't do this. And, um, you know, I, just, I remember that. It was like the psalmist who would say, my bones ached within me. I felt my bones ache within me for the first time, like this deep bones um, aching. And um, I just remember the Lord meeting me in such a, such a really, man, tangible way. And it, and it took days and it took weeks. I'm not saying that. But what was crazy is that the Lord took something like COVID in Mark 2020 to shut down the world to bring all my kids back into my house because they were at school and all these things. And the Lord was like, Ryan, that's what I have for you. Like he showed me that this is family and this is your family. And this was my heart for them and my heart for you and for Bree. And so the peace of Christ began to rule. I didn't have language for it then, but the peace of Christ began to rule in my heart as I got to see the prophetic, like redeemed future of my children through the eyes of a father, of a heavenly father who loves me enough to say, Ryan, you got this. I'm with you. Just as he told Gideon, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you and Bree in the midst of this. And now, as of last month, those girls share our last name. Come they already on. shared it. But... Yeah. Amen. I say all that because I began to experience what it actually looks like to have the peace of Christ rule in my heart. That's not to say I don't struggle from, you know, I don't have my days. Um, we'll all have days. We'll have difficult weeks. But I don't have to surrender to those emotions that try to steal my joy, disturb my relationships, or rob me of my victory that I can find in Christ. I'm not, I'm not going to bow down to that. When you feel overwhelmed by problems or emotions that are hitting you from every direction, man, stop. Let the peace of Christ rule. Let the word of Christ dwell. Set your mind and your emotions on Jesus and the word of God. And as you do this, man, let the wonderful, conquering, governing, ruling, supernatural peace of God rise up from within your spirit and, your gut and take control. Yeah. You, you are most free when you are surrendered to Christ. You are most free when you are found surrendered to Christ. So it's in the heart, it's in the mind. I'm going to read a few scriptures on the mind, and then we'll wrap it up here. It says this, Isaiah 26, 3. You will guard him and keep him in perfect and constant peace whose mind is stayed on you because he commits himself to you, leans on you, and hopes confidently in you. Philippians 4, 6 through 8. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's what I experienced on that couch and afterward, a transcending peace beyond anything I could ever imagine. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, I just take a deep breath, and I'm just like, man, I'm overwhelmed by the peace of that. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will keep, guard, protect, shield your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Communion with Jesus takes our eyes off of circumstantially based counterfeit peace. And keep your eyes on the Prince of Peace, the one who holds peace, the one in whom you are kept. I love this quote by Robert Murray uh, McCheen. He was a Scottish uh, pastor in the 1800s. He says, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Your great high priest is praying for you. My, My heart is to press my ear to heaven and say, man, if I could only but hear a few of those prayers, I would not fear man. I would not fear enemies like the Midianites. I would not fear you anxiety or worry because you hold no power over the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom. This morning, I don't know what your situation is. Again, I, I know some of you, I know some of the, the journey you've been on and you know um, some of the things you've wrestled with and struggled with and some of you know that in my own story. But I, I don't know all of you. Um, but I do know that in a again, room this size, there are those who, who are weighed down by the worries of the world. Um, so I want to challenge you as we wrap up this morning. Will you choose to build an altar on this side of your struggle? You have, a, you have an opportunity to express faith this morning, to say, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds it. So I will choose to build an altar on this side of it. And I will choose to say, the Lord is Jehovah Shalom, my peace. Will you let the, cre- the, the peace of Christ begin to rule, to referee, to umpire your thoughts, your attitudes, and your emotions? Uh, I, I imagine there's probably some of you that are thinking those, those thoughts are trying to persuade you even out of those lies. Man, I, I won't know this peace that Ryan's talking about. That's not for me. Well, th- they haven't met the Prince of Peace yet then. And call out to Jehovah Shalom, just as Gideon did, just as many others did. This many of our forefathers and those who went before us have called out on the God of peace, Jehovah Shalom. But Lord, would you renew my mind? Lord, that, this heart that's troubled, I give it to you. I simply surrender. Jesus, we come before you. Lord, and we choose to build an altar on this side of it because an outcome isn't going to dictate whether I find peace in you. I've been reconciled to the Father through Christ, the Son, and that is peace enough for me. So whatever tomorrow holds, eh, you hold it. Whatever Tuesday holds, you hold it. Whatever next month holds, you hold it. I'll find my full satisfaction and wholeness and completeness in Jehovah Shalom. So thank you, Jesus, for the invitation to come and experience that kind of peace. Lord, and we repent of putting our, trying to find peace in those like temporary-based dwelling places like bank accounts and, and job titles and new relationships. Lord, those are blessings, but 
Lord, I repent for the times in which I have actually put my, my hope and trust in the blessing instead of the one who is the greatest blessing, the greatest reward on planet earth. And that is you, Jesus. Thank you for the invitation to come and experience you as Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. Thank you so much for tuning in for today's word. We hope that it continues to encourage you and bless you as you go about your day to day. Until then, we will see you next Sunday. Have a great week.